0: It has been a joy to be with you here at Fountainhead this weekend for the youth rally, for the family rally rather. The time has just flown by and here we are at the last presentation. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 2. That will be our text in just a moment and while you're turning there, I'll tell you a true story. Gene Shelburne is a popular gospel preacher out in Texas and is the editor of the Christian Appeal. And in the Christian Appeal, in that magazine, he tells the true story of a man by the name of Walter Dudas, who is 83 years old. Now, Walter had lost his wife. He was a widower. He found himself living in a big house out on the edge of town, and he realized that he didn't really need that much house. And so he decided to put the house up for sale and move to a retirement center, uh, a new retirement facility, an apartment there. And somehow, and I'm going to pick up the story with Gene Shelburne, somehow Walter was never quite sure how, he found himself spending a lot of his time with Alice, a widow whose room was several doors down the hall from his. They shared breakfast. They read the same newspaper. They dawdled over coffee most mornings instead of going back to their far too quiet rooms alone. One evening after supper, Walter popped the question, He summoned all his courage, he went to Alice, and he stammered, Alice, I wonder if you would consider marrying me. And Gene says, you know, just getting those words out of his mouth left him breathless and a bit lightheaded. Like so many other activities in life, proposing is a task for young men. When Walter awoke the next morning, he was still somewhat flustered by the experience of the evening just past. But his biggest concern was not that he had proposed. What flummoxed him was that he couldn't remember whether Alice said yes or no. (laughs) Now what do I do, he asked himself. All morning long, he sweated over this new mess. Finally, he shuffled down the hall, rang Alice's doorbell, and when she answered the door without a bit of finesse, he just blurted it out. He says, I can't remember whether you told me yes or no. He had never been more embarrassed. Oh, Walter, Alice gushed as she clasped his hand. I am so glad that you have come to talk with me about this. When I got up this morning, I knew I had told someone last night I'd marry him, but for the life of me, I couldn't remember who. (laughs) Well, when it comes to marriage, there are some things you just don't want to forget. And our text this morning falls into that category. Because this morning in Genesis chapter 2, if you go down to verse 20, we're going to look at the most fundamental principle in all the Bible for marriage. Genesis 2, beginning with verse 20. For Adam, no suitable helper, was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, God took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Adam was created first, single, solitary, the only human being in all of God's creation, so that he would feel lonely and recognize his deep need for a companion. Eve was created second. She came after Adam so that she would always understand her dependence on him and her role as a helper to him. She was created from his rib so that they both would remember the essential unity that was to be between them. And after this union come the words, For this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. To my knowledge, that is the only passage, the only verse, the only comment in all the Bible that is repeated three times in three different books. It is stated here in Genesis chapter 2 as the foundation principle for marriage. Later on in Matthew chapter 19, when Jesus is questioned about the sanctity of marriage, he too can come up with nothing better than for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and two become one flesh. To indicate what God has joined together, man should never separate And this morning in our class, in Ephesians chapter 5, we saw that when Paul wanted to describe the unity between a husband and a wife, he too could come up with nothing better than, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. God made marriage. God's Word gives us the instructions on how to get it right. We cannot build a marriage or rebuild a marriage without recognizing and respecting His guidelines. For this reason this morning, I want us to look specifically at this passage because this is God's equation for marital happiness. I call it God's marriage Arithmetic: one plus one equals one. And friends, that's not new math. That is God's math. One man and one woman form one flesh, create one marriage for one lifetime. One plus one equals one. And I'm going to submit to you this morning that that is the only equation that will work, but first I have to explain how it works. When we talk about one plus one equals one, what are we talking about? How are we going to achieve that unity? Well, this morning, let me give you some very practical applications of God's marriage arithmetic, how to make his equation work. And the first thing I'm going to tell you is when God says one plus one equals one, that means that the couple must begin a new family. One plus one equals one, and those ones don't leave room for anyone else. Did you notice the equation said a man must leave his father and mother before he can cleave to his wife? And by the way, think now, that wasn't written for Adam's benefit because Adam had no in-laws. Those words were written for us because in order for the unity of marriage to have the room to grow and flourish and develop, each partner has to leave their original family behind and begin a new one. And I'm going to tell you this morning that in that delicate transition between leaving and cleaving, we find one of the most crucial factors for marital success. In fact, there are at least four things that can go wrong in that transition period between the leaving and the cleaving. The first thing that can go wrong is that the husband or the wife may have difficulty leaving mama and daddy behind. Now, it is such a blessing to have good parents who are able to give support, advice, and maturity. But I got to tell you, marriage requires your own maturity. That means that a man has to learn to stand on his own two feet. A woman must learn to make her own home. And that means they both must learn to cut the apron strings and let go of the purse strings and take on the responsibility for a new family, it would be better by far for a new couple to enjoy a meal of peanut butter and crackers on their own than to indulge in steak and lobster on daddy's credit card. Mm -mm. You don't want any strings attached when you marry because marriage is for grown-ups And your marriage will be much healthier by far if you get through your struggles together on your own rather than trying to rely on Mama and Daddy's bank account. And I'm not talking here just about money. I'm talking about loyalty and boundaries and maturity. Marriage is the supreme earthly Commitment—it It is a priority over all other human commitments, even our own relationship with our parents. And don't get me wrong, our obligation to our parents continues all our life, but our first priority must be To our mates. Now, when I work with couples in marriage preparation sessions, and I always go through three or four sessions before I'll even do a wedding ceremony of marriage preparations, I always share with them my in law speech. And I've said it so many times, I've got it memorized. It goes like this I am convinced. That most in-laws don't really want to be intrusive or interfering, but I am certain that no in-law ever will be unless their son or daughter allows them to be. Technically speaking, there's no such thing as in-law problems. There are only mate loyalty problems. If the husband's parents, God forbid, should cause a problem in his marriage, it is the husband's responsibility to take care of his parents, draw the line, and protect his marriage. If the wife's parents, God forbid, said cause a problem in the marriage, it is the wife's responsibility to take care of her parents, draw the line and protect the boundary of the marriage. Everyone is in charge of their own family. Everyone is in charge of protecting the marriage. Technically speaking, there's no such thing as in-law problems. There are only mate loyalty problems. Do you know I've had folks come back to me 10 years later and say, Brother Dan, that's helped me more than anything else. We still remember what you said about that issue. I have personally seen marriages suffer and sometimes even terminate because of a failure on the part of the husband or the wife to get their priorities in order, to make the boundaries clear and to keep their loyalties straight. Leaving must come before cleaving and sometimes the husband or the wife has difficulty leaving. The second problem that can go wrong though is sometimes parents may have difficulty letting go. Every parent has gone through that agonizing but exhilarating experience of letting go of those tiny hands and watching those little feet take their first wobbly steps. And do you remember the enthusiasm, the excitement, and the anxiety when you see them go? You're so proud your heart could burst, and you're so scared they're going to fall and bump their head. It just kills you. But you know what? Letting go is a part of life. And letting go is necessary for them to develop. If they're going to grow, you've got to let go. Now, let me tell you where this really hits home. I'm the preacher. I'm the guy they call to do the weddings. And I get to see something most people don't get to see. Most of the time at the weddings, everybody's looking at the bride and the groom. They're all focused up here. Well, where am I looking? I'm out looking at the parents of the bride and the groom. And I can't tell you how many times I have seen the parents of the bride and the groom. They're sitting on that front row there, and they get that faraway, wistful look in their eyes. And they're looking at their daughter, what a beautiful, radiant bride. Or they're looking at their son, standing there so tall and handsome. And you see that look in their eyes, and you can almost see the whole life of that child flashed before their eyes. You can see them thinking back, when did they grow up? How did it happen so quick? And I see that so many times, and it's always such a poignant experience. And the day comes when the parents have to understand this means everything's changed. Because you can see that in their expression too. Everything's changed. It's never going to be the same. Let me tell you something. Nobody ever said letting go is easy. It can be awkward at first to get used to the concept of calling before dropping by your child's home or holding your tongue when you are convinced that your advice would be invaluable to your son-in-law or your daughter-in-law. Letting go is not supposed to be easy. It's just another of those sacrifices that parents are called upon to make for the benefit of their children. But like all the commands of God, it yields rich dividends down the road it provides that priceless gift of freedom and respect to the new couple it allows them to make their own adjustments and experience their own struggles without any added stress or pressure and it lays the groundwork for a good and open relationship in the years to come when those precious grandchildren come along as parents we have to accept the letting go. Let me tell you a true story. I know some newlyweds once. I did their wedding. They got back from the honeymoon. They were unpacking and setting up their home. The mother of the groom called and said, honey, can I come over and help you unpack and arrange your furniture and hang the pictures? And he turned to his wife and he said, sweetheart, mama wants to come over and help us unpack and hang the pictures and arrange your furniture. And the wife said, oh, honey, thank you, but I'd really rather we did that ourselves. And the husband said, oh, but sweetheart, we can't disappoint mama. Yeah, mama, you come right over. Now, I don't know what picture you had in your mind, but if you think I was talking about an immature 19-year-old, let me fill in the rest of the story. That groom was 38 years old. Let me tell you the rest of the story. Despite my best efforts, that marriage lasted less than two years. Now, the husband should never have allowed his mother to intrude upon the private space of his wife. And at the same time, the mother should never have asked. Either way, it is important for the children to leave. And it is important for the parents to let go if one plus one is going to equal one. The third problem that I see in that transition period, the husband or the wife may have difficulties with their parents and carry them over into the new family. Let me say that again. The husband or wife may have difficulty with their own parents and carry them over into the new family. I have often heard it suggested that before you marry a person, you should look carefully at how they treat their own parents because chances are that's how they'll treat you. Now, that's not 100% true, but it's true enough. You better think about it. Because occasionally young people will marry for the worst of reasons. Because they can't get along with their parents at home and they're looking for an escape. And only too late do they recognize that they have carried their problems with them into the new relationship. So let me give you two cautions. First, don't expect marriage to solve your personal problems marriage is not reform school it is for people who are mature and the second thing i need to tell you there's nothing wrong with wanting to grow up and leave home that's healthy that's good that's a part of life but i always tell young people when you get to that point and you're ready to leave home don't slam the door behind you on the way out you leave on a good note And you appreciate your mother and your father for who they are and what they are. Because part of what you're going to be doing is laying the foundation for your own healthy marriage. And the fourth problem I sometimes see in that transition between the leaving and the cleaving, the husband or the wife may have difficulties with each other and carry them back to mom or dad just recently a couple were in my office seeking help whenever they had problems whenever this husband and wife had had problems he would get on the phone and he would call her parents and they would talk for hours about her and then her parents would come over and her parents and her husband would chew her out they got problems they've got really serious problems Now, don't get me wrong. I always encourage folks to seek help when they're having marriage problems, and it doesn't always have to be professional help. In every congregation, there are couples who have the maturity and the wisdom and the experience to offer a sympathetic ear and objective counsel. But it's usually better to leave mom and dad out of the equation because it's very difficult for mom or dad to have an objective opinion. And that's a part of the leaving. In order for one plus one, God's marriage arithmetic to be realized, we have to leave our original family and create a new one. Second suggestion, if you want God's marriage arithmetic in your life, love each other only. God's marriage arithmetic is one plus one, and that means marriage is exclusive. One of the most basic of God's laws and the bedrock of civilization itself is the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, this reminds us of the seriousness of marriage. In my private counseling practice over the years, I have routinely encountered individuals who engage in unwise relationships with the opposite sex that, while not wrong in themselves, serve to lower the boundaries that protect the marriage relationship. I'm talking about overly friendly friendships. A little too personal conversations. So-called innocent office flirtations or even dancing with other people at nightclubs and honky-tonks. And then somehow these individuals always seem surprised when these relationships catch fire and they end up getting burned. You can flirt and you can tease as much as you please while you're still looking around. But after you date and you've picked out your mate, you better learn to settle down. And one of the guidelines: you have crossed a crucial boundary the minute you say or do anything you don't want your mate to know about. And by the way, one of the things one of my one of my specialties as a marriage counselor is a fair repair. I have worked with dozens and dozens and dozens of couples where there has been infidelity. And, and some I'm able to get back together and some I'm not. But I'm here to tell you, you stay out of chat rooms. I've never in my life seen so many couples who get involved with very unhealthy relationships because they're up late at night by themselves in chat rooms talking with members of the opposite sex and they think it's always going to be innocent and it's always just a little flirtatious and it's always anonymous because it's just on the Internet. I'm here to tell you I can count more than two dozen marriages that have already ended that started on the with relationships that started on the Internet. That Internet is evil. You be careful. And you don't assume that just because you're on the Internet that nothing's going to happen, because I'm here to tell you it can happen. One plus one equals one, and that means you save all of your emotional intimacy and your flirting and your bantering, you save it for your mate. And then finally this morning, if you're going to achieve God's marriage arithmetic, you have to put the other first. Now, one plus one equals two in arithmetic. I know that. But it must be one if marriage is going to work. How do we achieve that equation? We must each be willing to put the other first. Only if I'm willing to subordinate my wants, my wishes, my way and think of my wife's desires and needs and work for our common good is our marriage going to work. We saw in class this morning that we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church. How is that? Sacrificially. Wives are to respect and obey their husbands. God has made marriage a mutual relationship in which we experience a sweet harmony if and only if we're each willing to put the other first. And by the way, We get back so many rich dividends when we do that. Because when I'm working to make my partner happy, I am making my marriage and my home sweeter. I have never seen a marriage fail when it was a partnership of two genuinely unselfish people. I like the story of the two little boys that were scuffling on the playground. They were rolling around and biting and kicking and clawing and punching, and the teacher came, and she broke them up, and she separated them. And She said, all right, who started it? Who started it? And finally, one little boy said, well, I thought he was going to hit me, so I hit him back first. Now, that's not very good logic on the playground. But could I compare that to marriage? Can, can't, we, can't we love them back first? Selfishness is the greatest enemy of a healthy marriage. Unselfishness is the greatest friend of every marriage. So God's marriage arithmetic, one plus one equals one. How are we going to achieve that? We've got to begin a new family. We have to love each other only. And we have to put each other first. Oh, by the way, let me give you one other equation. Let me expand it just a little. The real marriage arithmetic is one plus one plus one. The husband and the wife and God. Because when you've got God at the center of your marriage, you have got a strong union. Jesus says, what therefore God has joined together. Let man not separate. Let God be the glue that holds your partnership together. Let me close with another story here. Because I want us to recognize something. Don't take your marriage for granted. The partnership and the unity and the companionship that God gives us in a good marriage, friends, it's worth the effort. And so many times we sail along through this life and we we focus on everything but our family and we work at everything except having a good marriage and sometimes it's not until we get to the end of life that we look back i talked about this yesterday we look back and recognize what's really important this year we're celebrating the ses- sesquicentennial of the civil wars 150 years ago that the blue and the gray went at it and there was a major in the union army by the name of major sullivan Ballou, who was getting ready to go in the battle and as he got ready to go into battle, what was he thinking about? He was thinking about, thinking about his family. And he wrote a letter to his wife. And I want you to listen to this man's heart as he faces battle the next day. He says, Sarah, my love for you is deathless. It seems to bind me with many cables that nothing but omnipotence can break. And yet my love of country comes over me like a strong wind and bears me irresistibly with all those chains to the battlefield. The memory of those blissful moments I have enjoyed with you come crowding over me. And I feel most grateful to God that you and I have enjoyed them for so long. And how hard it is for me to give them up and burn to ashes the future years, when, God willing, we might have loved and lived together and watched our boys grow up around us to honorable manhood. If I do not return to you, Sarah, never forget how much I loved you or how that when my last breath escapes me on the battlefield... It will whisper your name. One week later, Major Ballou was killed at the first battle of Bull Run. Someday, one day, you're going to say your last goodbye to your companion. You may be ready for it. You may not. You may be walking out the door to work and say Goodbye and not even realize that's it. That Someday, one day, you'll say your last farewell. You make sure that whenever it comes, it is a kind, it is a gracious, it is a loving farewell. The unity of a great marriage is worth the effort, and you let God be the glue that holds you together. We're going to sing a song of encouragement. If you had not been putting God first in your life, you need to put Him first and let Him make you the kind of husband or the kind of wife that you can truly be. If we can help you with any spiritual need, let us know right now. We stand and sing together.